Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and we're up to episode 128. I recorded this one when I was overseas recently. I was over in um, Sydney in Australia, went to see Suzanne Vega, and I caught up with a guy called Chris Familton. Now, we had corresponded quite a bit over the years, um, I guess in that way when you know people online, you sort of feel like you know each other, but we'd never met, and that sort of came up at the start of this year, I messaged him and said, next time I'm over here, we, we should catch up. And then I thought, actually, we should do a podcast because uh, he used to play in a band you might have heard of, you might remember, called Thorazine Shuffle. He's a New Zealander, um, but he's lived in Aussie for 20 years. Um, and he writes a lot about music now. He's a DJ. He's a stay-at-home dad. He writes about music. Uh, he and I had a lot in common. Um, so, yeah, so I went to his place, sat down, we chatted about Thorazine Shuffle and some of their stories, and they opened for bands like Helmet and the Beastie Boys and Silverchair. Um, they were, you know, part of the Auckland scene of the early to mid-90s. When that sort of wrapped up, he moved over to, to Sydney, and um, for the last 20 years, he's, I mean, he's had a bit of time out where he's just been in the workforce, but in the last decade, he's established himself as a music journalist over there. He's got a, a blog and a website he does, Doubtful Sounds, and then he's, that's morphed into a, a sort of dedicated alt country thing called post to wire he still has doubtful sounds but he does the post to wire stuff including putting on shows being a sort of local promoter and and gig organizer and and doing dj sets uh, in between and at the end of bands and um, doing little radio shows putting together mixtapes um, he's just a passionate music fan and a passionate music listener and, he, and he's a very good music writer i, I always sort of take his tips on you know the old country thing he's got that down plays in a good band in sydney too called charlie horse and he's involved in a few other uh, music projects so we had a nice chat we geeked out about music and music writing and podcasts and interviewing people and we got his story as well so i hope you enjoy this um my thanks as always to tea leaf tea le petit chocolat and yeasty boys and uh, this is me talking with a sydney-based kiwi chris familton so we've we've never met. We've just met. You've welcomed me into your house, and um, but we've known each other, for, known about each other, and known each other for a while. We've corresponded, uh, and you've just told me that you've lived in Australia for pretty much twenty years. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll we'll get into the uh, what goes on in Australia for you, and what brought you here, and what keeps you here. But I, I think we'll just go all the way back. Um, first of all, <laughs> I, I was going to say, because we actually, we kind of do a lot of very similar things yeah. and have done a lot. I mean, I've, in my life, I've played in bands, I've written about music, I've played records in bars and DJed. Tick, you tick, do, tick. Yeah. I've been a stay-at-home dad, you do yeah, all yeah. of these things, I've been a freelance writer doing things that I love putting my name to and then doing other things that aren't for me to put my name to they're just like a bit of editing work so we that's so our backgrounds are so similar in terms of what we've ended up doing but yeah. I want to know what your background was before all of that where did you grow up and where did music come into your life and things so should we start there yeah right back at the beginning yeah, yeah. Well, I'm a born and bred Auckland boy mm. up until I moved to Australia I lived probably within 10 kilometres of, of where I was born mm. yeah had a couple two childhood homes and yeah down on sort of between Remuera and Meadowbank and um, and then I finally left home and, and got to live in, you know, Ponsamigo mm. in the usual haunts. Yeah. yeah. Um, went to Meadowbank Primary School, went to Salon College. Um, so I think intermediate school was when I first music really sort of first hit my my radar, I guess when I was ten, eleven. Mm. Mm just discovering radio probably getting in my first little handheld transistor radio mm. 
that I, I think must have only had aim at that point. Yeah. Listen to the Rick Dees, really top forty, all of that kind of We're stuff. We're talking what mid to mid to late eighties. Yeah, yeah. I guess I it guess. would have been. Uh, yeah. I was born in seventy two, so mm. yeah, mid eighties. Mid eighties. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, and then yeah, going from that to then having the tape deck and recording certain songs, yeah. trying to capture yeah Murray Heads <laughs> One Night in Bangkok, <laughs> the perfect mix. Yeah, all, all the without mixes. ads. Yeah, and all the different mixes of that song. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Um, and then, then I think. I don't really have any awareness of music at primary school. I never took lessons other than recorder, like most kids mm, do at that mm, age. Um, it wasn't sort of pushed on you by your folks in any way or anything like that? It wasn't something no, that they were... We, we had a bit of music around the house, but yeah. not, neither of my parents uh, they were musically inclined. Yeah. But my dad, I always loved sitting down, going through his records. So this was before I brought him music myself. Mm. And he had Miles Davis, he had The Beatles... Um, my dad was a, a solicitor, so and he did a bit of work for a couple of record companies. So he had okay, a lot so of freebies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some good time, stuff. But that sounds him, yeah, weird yeah. Hall of Notes yeah. albums and yeah, strange jazz things and uh, fusion things that he maybe didn't listen to a lot, but mm. I kind of got pulled in by the covers of the artwork mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, so yeah, I remember lying in front of the speakers listening to Manhattan Transfer and just kind of mm. some random stuff that I wasn't hearing on the radio mm-hmm. and kind of. Man, this is this is getting creepy because <laughs> my dad wasn't a lawyer and didn't have like a super cool record collection, but it was pretty good. But you know, I have an experience of listening when you mentioned Manhattan Transfer. Yeah. I was like, man, they were like a big deal for me when I was a little kid because I just thought they were like crazy cool because yeah. you, exactly that you didn't hear it on the radio. What was it? You know, yeah. like it was vaguely sort of jazz, vocal jazz, but like that whole acapella thing. Yeah, and it was a little bit kooky and yeah. Disco-y and yeah. like the late seventies, um, the Twilight Zone thing and yeah, stuff, yeah, like yeah. kind of disco-y. And yeah. So yeah. It had that kind of uh, fantasy kind of element yeah. for kids. Yeah, there. yeah. But a, a weird aside was that the other day something about Manhattan Transfer kind of came on my radar, and I posted something on Facebook, like a, just a comment. And then the next day on Instagram, one of the guys from Manhattan Transfer <laughs> commented and followed me. Wow. <laughs> And I'd never posted anything about them yeah, on the yeah, air. Yeah. And, yeah, and he likes weird things like Dinosaur Jr. and wow. like stuff music that I wouldn't have thought he would be into at all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, so intermediate school yeah. was, I think, the, the turning point. Yeah. And a real moment was, I remember we had to all bring a song and, um, like show and tell, you can mm. bring a poem or a song or, mm. or, or something, in, or maybe a picture and things. And I remember I brought in... Uh, New Orders Blue Monday because we'd been on a mm. family trip to Indonesia and I bought all these really weird and wacky compilation CDs in the market like mm. a bootleg thing and it had Van Halen mixed with New Order mixed with all these different things and I bought in Blue Monday and played it and 95% of the class were like this is mm. weird what is mm. this weird robot mm. music and and there was one friend of mine who, listened, who was like wow this is amazing like I heard about these guys and so we bonded and that became one of my first bondings with a friend over music I reckon that song I, I was thinking about that recently like maybe just the last for me five or six years that song started to feel like really comfortable and sort of ubiquitous and it's part of you know it's a staple of 80s DJ sets yeah. and that I've always liked it but it's it's retained like 
quite a strange mystery about like quite it a is, magic yeah. about it and now it's only now that I think oh that's quite overplayed it's still great yeah. but that is quite overplayed but you know I remember that like being one of those like amazing things to hear as a kid like what the yeah. fuck is this this yeah. is great it's catchy it's obviously you know 80s pop music but yeah. it's it's just something something else, something else as well yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think then I started um, listening to a bit more music. I bought my first album, which was Billy Idol's Rebel Yell, mm. when I was, what, 84, I think that was, so yeah, mm. 12 years old, and um, started writing band names on my school books, Yeah, and I had a weird cut-out picture of Graham Brazier <laughs> from the front of one of his albums, like, cut out and stuck on, yeah. with cover seal over it on the yeah, music, yeah. all this kind of stuff. <laughs> I hadn't even heard his music. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So I think that whole awareness of um, just getting really interested in, and it was this otherworldly thing I wasn't playing any music at that point yeah I was going to say when do you trade the recorder up for a guitar yeah. or you know whatever yeah. you know was it a guitar straight away yeah it was yeah I, I got an electric guitar like a really cheap crappy thing and tiny little lamp at home and signed up to do some lessons and I only did a couple and then mm. hated it mm. because I didn't want to sit there learning how to it's, finger pick it was, it was too hard yeah yeah it was yeah it was too hard to get to where you wanted you yeah. wanted to be good at it after yeah. two lessons yeah. yeah and so I never had any more lessons after that just, yeah. I mean I wouldn't really call myself a guitarist more of a, a bass player in terms of playing in bands mm. and stuff mm. I'm an okay guitarist but I'm not a great guitarist at all so you you still wrestle with it from yeah time to time. I still play it yeah, my, yeah. my own stuff but it's yeah. always my own music that I'm yeah, writing yeah. rather than yeah. figuring out how to play yeah, yeah. and yeah. stuff like that so yeah Playing within my own limitations, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so when do you sort of um, when does that move into like, you know, how do you how do you get into a band and 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 what is the first band you do? Yeah, well, that wasn't until the end of high school. Uh, well, I guess not the end of high school. Maybe sixth form, it probably would have yeah. been. Um, Salem College was a real melting pot right at that time when I went there. In the same year as me were was Mark Williams who. Mm. Uh, OJ and Rhythm Snow mm, mm. and, and obviously Otis Frizzell and most of the guys who were in um, Simon Lemon Cola and Dan Sperber who mm. did a whole a lot of jazz mm, and stuff, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sperber Cassie. Yeah, and yeah. Caitlin, Caitlin Smith right. singing. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. It seemed like that was a normal thing. I didn't think right. that was... Uh, that that was an abnormal yeah. thing. But looking back now, it's like there it was this quite little, a talent pool. Yeah, for the next mm. ten years of music in Auckland, mm. all of these artists sort of went off and did obviously D- yeah, and people from quite a places. spread of things that they went off to do too. Yeah. Like and not just a, one quite genre, a range. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guys were into metal. There was mm. were guys who came DJs. There was jazz. There was mm. all kinds mm. of stuff. Mm. All the guys who were in like jungle fungus and half the super groove guys mm. came through Sal and they were a couple of years behind me, but. Mm. You sort of saw them coming out, these little skinny guys. Yeah, because what were they called? The, um, oh, the Dirty, uh, du- dirty, dirty Dozen Blues, blues band. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah so it was that point. Um, yeah, best friend of mine, Blair Miller, who played drums, and then another guy called Anthony McDonald, who was a guitarist and he's super into metal. He was like mm. Motorhead, you know, Iron Maiden, all that kind of stuff. And for some reason, and, and Blair was really into The Cure and Echo, Echo and the Bunnymen and stuff. And I was, I guess I, at that point, 
this is like 88 I guess I was into Guns N' Roses and the mm. cult and mm, stuff mm. as well as the more mm. underground stuff and, and synth poppy stuff Depeche Mode and all that kind of stuff mm. um, and I can't remember how or why but we just started having some jams at Blair's house after school on the weekends and um, had a couple other people that came and went and we were sort of trying to do a weird we weren't really writing our own stuff at that point but we are doing a weird mix of um, I think we covered uh, I think we covered Staying Alive and oh, what else did we do yeah a couple of really weird mm, disparate mm. I think we did a Bowie, a Bowie song mm. um, Who Loves Who The Most by The Exponents <laughs> it's this weird yeah. mix of things only because those songs we liked and we could yeah. figure out how to play them yeah and yeah maybe an ACDC song as well and it wasn't until we left school and then and went to university and started meeting other people that the three of us kind of started realising that we really wanted to do a band. Yeah. Um, and then met Josh Hetherington and invited him along to come practice at my mum's costume hire shop that we had down only Hunger. And that was, I guess, 92? Yeah, and that what, was the start what of was his, And what was his back, like... What what had he done before that? Like was he Josh just another in any band? Yeah, right. Just another kid that had yeah. grown up and got into music and yeah. Because I to, met him just a, a couple of years ago. Okay. And um, and had you know had a really nice chat to him and yeah. and, and had 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 re- was aware of him online and had you know since and that. But he came up and introduced himself to me a couple of years ago. We had a really nice chat and I just I know he's doing something different with music now yeah. and. and um, yeah, sort of just been curious about whether he was some fully formed kind Not of... Not really. No, he, he had gone to primary school with, with Blair, the drummer, mm. and then gone off to another high school. And so it wasn't until university that we mm. kind of came together and um, and I met him and we started going to just some gigs around university. I remember sitting... Graham, Graham Brazier pops up mm. at the uni cafe with three, three other people sitting on the floor while Graham Brazier just did a solo set just mm. going, wow, mm-hmm. this is amazing. And, um, yeah, and I think we knew that he played guitar and he said he could sing. So mm. we said, well, mm. we need a singer and they can play guitar as well. Come Bonus, along. yeah, it's yeah. It's just a happy... Yeah. So this was Thor's Zen Shuffle. This is essentially the first band you're in. Correct, yeah. And um, this becomes quite a, um, quite, a, quite a big name New Zealand band or quite a, quite a big name, I want to say, like... Um, I don't know if it's right to say a second tier big name band, but something like that, right? Like you, were, yeah. you guys were a big deal. Second but, or even third, possibly. Well, right? you, but you guys were quite a big deal for quite a while in, in a particular scene. But yeah. then, obviously, in New Zealand back then, what I'm trying to say is there's your there's only room for your dance exponents and mm. your Finn Brothers and Dave Dobbins and Jan Hellregal and that in that era, that sort of thing. Yeah. And then everyone else behind it is a bit of a chancer that's having a go. Yeah. But you guys very quickly got to the sort of top of that pile, right? Yeah. I, it's hard to know what kind of um, profile we had outside of Auckland. Mm. Um, yeah, you're very much an Auckland band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing. I mean, the, Josh was quite involved up at BFM. Mm. Um, and so that's obviously the So first. that didn't hurt the band's chances at all? No, I think I remember him telling a story that he was trying for a long time to get songs playlisted and they were reluctant. Right. Maybe it didn't fit or the programme director didn't like that song. I don't yeah. know what it was. So it wasn't... I think once we got our foot in the door mm. and they played a couple of our songs, then it became mm. a lot easier to do. Mm. Um, but 
Yeah, and that's such a microcosm around BFM and Auckland. I'm sure it's the same in Hamilton and and all the other cities. But yeah, once you sort of get your foot in the door and start getting play play playlisted, you can you vote for yourself over and over again to get on the top Mm ten. And then you there's the BFM gigs, and then you start doing your own gigs. It just becomes a, as you say, based on the size of Mm -hmm. of Auckland, it's actually not that big a scene. Mm -hmm. Probably six venues yeah, that yeah. going to be playing and the same day. people going to the yeah the shows and yeah. it's you know and then when you build it when you get to a certain level then obviously promoters are touring international acts and like who mm. do we get to support these guys have been on the top 10 get so them that's what I was going to say so you guys did a bit of that you mm. had quite um, you 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 well run me through some of the experiences you had who did you support that was either a big name but meant nothing to you personally or quite the opposite was a big name and geez I can't believe you know I used to listen to their records or I've just started listening to their records and then a few months later here I am yeah. you know opening you know pulling the curtain for them yeah well a funny one kind of a little bit like that was our first ever club show which was at a place called Godfathers which mm. Ray Columbus ran yeah. as his, his venue and we ran into the, his office with our demo tape sitting in his he was sitting in a big leather chair behind the desk and mm. He had a listen and goes, yeah, we'll put you guys on and um, put us on like a Friday night or something. And we saw that we're playing with a band called the Gordons. Mm. And we're like, holy hell, <laughs> Gordons this is amazing. And I I was kind of in the middle of that, I guess it's what, the second wave of, of Flying mm. Numbers mm. my age. So mm. I knew of the Gordons, but I hadn't really gone back and really yeah. listened to them a lot. But I knew they were an important band. And... Uh, it got to the it got to the night and sound check and this other band turned up and started sound checking and it turned out that the Gordons were actually just a local <laughs> country band who were yeah, all in yeah, their fifties. Yeah, yeah. We I was just so gutted. Just like, no, I thought that was a big break. But um, but yeah, going in terms of the international supports, um, I guess it's the size of Auckland again. It was such a weird mix. Mm. You know, we we supported Grantly Buffalo. Um, Fugazi was a big one for us, mm. just in terms of mm. a band that we respected. And mm. Even though we all had similar but also different musical tastes in the band, I think that was one that meant a lot to all of us. They're, they're one of those bands that um, I feel like they're, they're one of those bands that a bunch of people in a band will all get into together because of like yeah. what, because of what they sort of represented ideologically as well as musically. Yeah. You know, here's this, here's this damn the man band. But they actually make good music. They're not just like you know deluded punks that are trying to have an attitude. There's yeah. great stuff there, and yeah. so you can like them for the music. But they they you know they're one of the kind of one of the great indie bands mm. in the true sense of indie, yeah. right? Like so much we, integrity. Yeah, integrity, integrity exactly. So I think we were drinking backstage, or some of the other guys were, and they um, they frowned upon us as they sort of walked through the, the changing rooms. Um, and then we, and then there were weird bills that you get when they brought out Hamilton, Hamilton Beastie Boys. Mm. So and they need a local support. Yeah. So you've got a band who's this kind of hard, mm. you know, riff-driven, hard rock band. Then you've got Beastie Boys. Mm. And so then they get this kind of, I don't know how you describe us, kind of jangly. Well, I was going to say, how do you describe you guys? Because you, you kind of fit into a bunch of different things and then therefore kind of slip through the cracks in a way right yeah. as well like it, yeah. Yeah, I mean I go back and listen to some Thorazine Shuffle now and I and I sort of think like did you did the band arrive at the wrong time almost like would would the band have been more successful 10 years ago 
given Possibly, that style yeah. of music because there's you know for all the sort of well it's sort of tied to the grungish early 90s there is this real 60s tunesmithery yeah. sort of thing happening yeah. a, almost a almost a power pop kind of thing yeah yeah well, well, Jules the drummer the second yeah. drummer Jules is a huge Kiss fan so mm. he kind of got that mm. big sound in there and and um, Josh was big into the Stones and Bowie and the Who and, mm. um, and but then you also hear yeah you hear Pixies coming through in our mm. sound you can mm. hear a little bit of Smashing Pumpkins um, well maybe this is exactly why you were great as a kind of catch-all opening act yeah I guess you so. know like we it's sort of yeah 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 but you could tick the box it, you could you know not that not that anyone probably really goes why the hell did they open for blah 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 it's, yeah. you're just a, you're just on the bill and that's that and people either like it or they don't yeah. but but I guess a promoter or whatever could always justify the inclusion that yeah. oh well we thought it would appeal to this element of yeah I don't this. remember anyone at the time saying no that's a strange mix yeah yeah just, yeah yeah we got the support we got the support yeah yeah so this um, beastie Boys helmet gig is is quite a you know uh, much talked about show. Mm. Like I know on like my Facebook pages, it comes up quite often, and I I, I have this whole kind of you know if I could have a time machine, that's one of the gigs I yeah. want to go because I I remember being a kid in Hawkes Bay in probably my final year of high school. Just really wish I could go to that but yeah. it was just you know I had I had travelled to Wellington and seen a couple of things like Faith No More and yep. the cult and stuff but I, that for whatever reason I don't know if it was a school night or what it, you know what it was I just did not get to that and I was I was and still am a massive Beastie Boys fan and, yeah, I, and I was too. a pretty big Helmet fan yeah. I've, I've probably become a bigger Helmet fan with time yeah. but yeah that was a show I would have wanted to see so how it was, was it? I've got, I've got um We've got VHS footage of it. One wow. of friend of the band right. smuggled in. I don't know how he got a giant video camera in. Yeah, yeah, there. good old fashioned. <laughs> and it's as you kind of imagine it when every mm. five or six years I might click on the file and have a look at it mm. just to see the mass of people yeah. just going nuts. Well, you can almost smell it by watching it. <laughs> yeah, like there's a tiny little mosh pit in front of us yeah. it's kids just excited to be in front of a band. Mm. They mm. don't even know who we are mm. probably, but which was great for us on stage. Mm. Um, because Helmet were really nice at soundcheck, they were chatting to us, they were super friendly, we didn't mm. see Beasties then, but seeing the Beastie Boys warming up backstage, they're running up and down the local camera centre, like bouncing off the walls and crashing into each other just to get hyped mm. up into mm. this energy mode. And standing next, and I turn around watching that, just going, oh, I don't, I'm not going to say hi because they're yeah. in this yeah, zone. Yeah. And I turn around and there's, um, actually, a different concept. I turn around and we support the silver chair. Yeah. At the Logan Campbell and Neil Finn standing there yeah. with his kids. <laughs> Liam was, I don't know how old Liam was yeah. then, but he was just tiny. Tiny, yeah. And a massive silver chair. Six or seven years old or something. Yeah, yeah, him. yeah. Would yeah, have made complete sense to him yeah. to. Yeah, yeah. And silver chair only a couple of years old. Yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly. Something for him to aspire to at that point. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was another yeah. extreme going from that supporting <laughs> yeah. Helmet and Beasties to doing Auckland mm. Wellington supporting Silver Chair, which mm. was as kind of manic and mm. crazy because that was right at the peak of their. Yeah, because they hit their, really their big, fame. didn't they? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I was just listening to a little bit of um, audio from that from our set supporting them at the Wellington Town Hall, mm. and then you just hear the, the applause between songs. And we that was one of our best gigs, just mm. the energy in the room. 
and you hear the applause between the songs and then you hear Josh saying, oh, thanks a lot, you know, Silverchair will be up next and the crowd just goes, Yeah, yeah, classic. And so so what does Thorazine put out into the world? A a couple of EPs, three, four? Yeah, cassette 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 EP, um, two CD EPs. Yeah, and then a full album. album, Yeah, Yeah. I left between the first and second EPs. Yeah. Yeah. So what sort of year is that? Like... Uh, I guess I left 95, yeah. 6, yeah, 95, I think it must have been, yeah. How come? Um, there'd been an overlap where I started playing in the second band, because um, originally when we started out, we kind of were all feeling out how to be in a band, mm. and I was writing some of the songs, and Josh was writing some, and then mm. the identity of the band became Josh's songs. Mm. He was a better songwriter than me, mm. and it suited the type of music we were doing. Um, then I still wanted to write some songs, so I started playing with Anthony and Blair from Thorazine. And um, we were doing much heavier, kind of Alison Chains, Pumpkins, that kind of sound. Mm. Mm. Um, and we approached, Blair had worked with Mikey Havoc at mm. HV or Brashes, I think it might have been at that point, just doing music retail. And so we met, uh, so I met him as well, and I said, hey, do you want to come along? Because I knew Push Push had finished by mm. that point. Do you want to come along and sing? Thinking, it's not going to happen, you know, we can't get this guy who's mm. kind of mm. considered the best rock vocalist probably of that, mm. in that particular style at the time in Auckland. Um, and, and he goes, yeah, yeah, great, yeah, I'd love to come along. So, and that was the start of a band called Fontanelle. Mm. Um, a lot of time practicing and, and, and started doing some shows. Um, I think we opened the main stage of the big day out which would have been 97 I think like middle of the day there was mm, mm, five mm. people at the same mm, set mm. in front of us but yeah so that was great mm. I played summer series in Albert Park and mm. that was good to do something that's still kind of rock music but it's a different kind different dynamics stronger bigger sound mm. and when does Thorazine pull the pin well they kind of kept rolling along there was there was a big delay getting that mm. first album and the first album should have come out a couple of yeah, years ago. Yeah, yeah. And it was just... I was going to say, my, my memory is it sort of gets to that point, and this happened a bit, um, you know, I mean, when I talked to Jill Craig about the band Sugarbug, which was in Wellington band, it was a bit like that, where the band kind of just kind of limps over the line and eventually puts out this album that yeah. actually would have made a big difference yeah. if it had come out earlier. Yeah, and yeah. you look at like a band like Garage Land, who yeah. kind of came slightly after us, mm. but then they got that first album out right at the peak mm, of when those, mm, mm. like the first, the first EP and those all the singles became mm. popular. Then mm. the album came out and they just, that's the momentum thing you, you yeah. need to kind of move with. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then you know, they, they kept going after I left and supported Chili Peppers and, and mm. did a few other big high profile things mm. and, and your relationship with them was that completely over and uh, not really no, no. Not, not with um, obviously you've got guys from the band you're still playing yeah, with yeah, but so still like with friends. Josh or whatever like yeah it's always difficult when you leave yeah. a band at first because you're breaking up that yeah, yeah, yeah. first line up and yeah, yeah. things but there was never any real animosity right. we're yeah, still yeah. good friends and, yeah. um, and catch up when mm. I'm over there sometimes mm. and things. Mm. so mm. yeah no, it's gone well mm. Um, yeah, so I think yeah, if that album had come out, and there's almost like a whole album, a really great album's worth of songs, yeah, that were written and played a million times before the songs written that ended up on the album. Yeah. So and there's like a lot of New Zealand bands at that time. There's you know an album or so in the can of things that 
is just sitting there and, and sometimes some bands put them out like 20 years later yeah. just, just for fans or whatever but yeah. um, and and I think that's just you know uh, a symptom of what it was like then that it was hard to because yeah. you were still relying on a, a, an old fashioned record label release pattern Yeah, you either couldn't get money and couldn't get on a label yeah. or uh, you could and they were not going to flood the market with stuff you know it wasn't going to happen if it didn't like you say like Garage Land managed to to pop next yeah. thing they've got John Cale producing their yeah, next record exactly. and then funnily enough that one doesn't actually go yeah. <laughs> all, that, all that well which just shows how hard it was there yeah. Yeah. and you're talking about those different tiers mm. like a lot of the local tours that we were doing mm. uh, touring with um, Super Groove we did an mm. tour with them well you shared a manager with them didn't you yeah yeah, Super yeah, Wharton, who yeah, yeah. Super Groove. who's quite a character yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, and so what was his involvement with Thorazine like? Was he there at this? Not what did what did he start. sort of do for you, or had you guys got established and then went? We need a manager, or yeah. From memory, we we had kind of got to a certain point. I think when we were starting to get international supports and uh, and Josh connected with with Stuart mm. um, on a personal level, and so that was sort of the next. Stage and he was actually produced, um, managing Seminem and Colo, right? All good friends right. of ours, as yeah, well. yeah, yeah. Probably the band that we played the most gigs with around town, and so I think that was just the next, next level because I mean, I have met Stuart and I do, do know him a bit, but I, I I haven't asked him this, but I got the feeling that he was, you know, I've heard him talked about as quite the sort of mastermind of the of Supergroove and what, what happened with them, definitely, yeah, in terms of really making them blow up yeah which they yeah, did we didn't ever get a sense that there was that there were managers around mm, yeah I don't know if that's a New Zealand thing or yeah. just like, the timing and <laughs> the Auckland mm. scene there were never people that you were like I don't remember anyone else coming up and saying hey I want to manage you or, well who would do that as a job then you know, yeah. New Zealand day like, <laughs> 10% they, of nothing you know, yeah exactly <laughs> like so that was great to get us on those supports mm. and you know supporting here like a hole at the power station Mm. right at the peak of their powers which was mm. I couldn't even get in the front door <laughs> to get through the crowds who mm. didn't have tickets who were trying to get tickets to get into the power station in Auckland mm. so I could get in and actually get on stage mm. and play I had to go around the back door and almost break it down <laughs> wow. to get in and yeah yeah so and yeah. were you a I mean how much of a music fan in the gig going sense were you then like Pretty oh, passionate, yeah. yeah. Were you were you going and checking things out as often as you could, um, not through any sort of rivalry competition or uh, hope to play with them or open for them, but just because, hey, I love this band's music, I'm going to go and see this band? Yeah, locally it was just you're part of that scene. Yeah, yeah. And I was at university at the time, yeah. so you, you're at that in-between stage, you're not a student at school anymore, mm-hmm. you've got to, you feel like you've got more independence, you don't have to worry about working as such, mm. and... I was still living at home, so all those kinds of things allow you to get out more and see local bands, and then you'd save up and, you know, what it's like in New Zealand anyway. Mm-hmm. If they're coming, you're going to buy a ticket and see them because you want to see your heroes play. Yeah, yeah. You don't yeah. know if they're going to come back again or... Yeah. Might be, you know, six years until they come back. So. And and living in Auckland at that time was really... Well, yeah, no, probably was really the only way to guarantee seeing, like, a lot of the big-name touring yeah. international acts that... I mean, there were a few that did Christchurch and Wellington, but Auckland would have been the place to be. So I think so, yeah. And definitely, 
the, and the big day out made a big change mm, because mm. you get all those sideshows happening as well yeah, yeah, and then yeah. the other festivals that were happening in Australia Livid Festival mm. and things that you get some of filtered down filtered yeah. down as well so I think that was a real shift in touring the number of you know high profile touring acts coming through and what were you hoping to do at that point I mean so Thorazine obviously you know while you're still in the band you, when you're doing these things like supporting international acts or sharing the bill with you know, really big name Kiwi acts. You're a student and you're living at home, so things are pretty comfortable. Mm. You've got a nice life, but yeah. what what are you hoping to go and do? Are you, are you, and and how does that change in your head? Like, are you suddenly bitten by the a logical, unrealistic dream of being a rock star because it's kind of happening in a in a in a little homegrown way? And you're like, oh well, fuck the law degree or whatever it was you were doing. You know, like I'm actually going to be a rock and roller. Or were you a studious type that was like, this is a phase, this is a fad, and I'll yeah. I'll get on with my life. It definitely felt like a hobby for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was kind of studious type, but I did a I did an arts degree and majored in sociology, mm. which doesn't really lead to a specific career. Right? Yeah, such. yeah, yeah. I did English papers and geography. Yeah. But I majored in sociology, which which I love doing. But I stretched it over five years as well. It wasn't mm. like got to get my degree and start working. Mm. It was just everything kind of felt right. I'm going to stretch this degree out a little bit. So I'm going to play mm. in a band. And, um, and for for a number of those years, I wasn't drinking, so I wasn't a I wasn't in the rock and roll for like the party mm. lifestyle. I wasn't mm. the more responsible person. Mm. Go mountain biking, go to the gym. Mm study, playing a band, that, that kind of whole balance. Um, so no, I never really considered music as a, as a career or mm. had, a, had any realistic ambition that we were going to get to a certain point and then be able to tour the world. It always felt mm. like we're this playing. is fun while it's happening. Yeah, we might get to go down to Wellington and play yeah. a gig or yeah. maybe even if we got to the South Island. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, we might put a record out. Yeah. Those sorts of things. That yeah. was kind of a yeah. distant... Yeah, on, yeah. On the horizon, if we can get an album done, that'd yeah. be amazing. Yeah. Okay, so what happens sort of next for you? We've got to kind of you leave the band. You've got other stuff going on, and then and then it must be we must be just about at the point that you come over to Australia. Yeah, yeah. So we came over here in '98. Um, so I played in Fontenay for a couple of mm. years, and then that started kind of dwindling out a bit. I can't really remember what. I think Mikey's role was changing. I think he'd started working with MTV mm-hmm. and, and doing that kind of thing. And then um, I was working for a textile company, just started while I was at university, just working in the warehouse doing stuff, and then um, started managing that, you know, logistics and operations there. Um, and then my wife got transferred over here, and I managed to kind of keep a a role of sorts with the company, just a very low-level mm. warehouse dispatch kind of thing over here in Sydney. Um, so that was the big change. That was At first it was like, oh, I don't want to have to give up mm. playing in these bands, you know, mm. I love doing all this kind of stuff and have to move to another country. Um, but I'm glad I did it in hindsight, mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And was it, was, it, was it an easy shift and it felt good as soon as you got here or was there a resentment when you first got here and went, well... I'm completely out of the loop. I've got no scene around me. I had a scene around me. You know, was or I was little, around a scene. Yeah, it was a little bit like that because I didn't yeah. have any other friends here yeah, when I first yeah. moved. So you got a, you got some security and you got a job. Yeah, first day so we arrived. Yeah, yeah, work. yeah, yeah. So that's... had a place to live. Uh, yeah, I think I remember one of the first venues I went to was the Hopeton Hotel mm. over in Surrey Hills, which is sort of a legendary, mm. very, very small venue, um, pub venue, basically. 
but going there to see a couple of bands play and it was just hot like Sydney always is it was mm. would have been I guess we came in August so it was probably September October heading into summer and uh, the band was a band called Blue Bold Kiss who became one of I'd never heard of them before mm. and they became you know one of my favorite Australian bands of all time and I saw them play and I was just like thank god there is music here that mm. just absolutely hits the nail on the head for me mm. yeah mm. I was like okay this is gonna be all right mm. And when do you, so when do you get into the kind of um, music writing stuff? Like, when does that happen for you? Well, that was quite a lot later, yeah. Yeah, I, I figured it was, but yeah. I, I, I wondered. Only really for the last 10 years, mm. yeah, about 10 years ago. So yeah. we were here for a good 10 years of just mm. really, just working. And um, Billy the drum from Thorazine lived over in Sydney for a little while, as did Anthony. Mm. And so we started trying to get a band going but we never really found anyone who could sing as well mm -hmm. so it was just three guys mm -hmm. jamming in a room recording lots of stuff but never releasing mm. anything or, or never playing any shows um, and then I met up with um, a good friend of my wife's um, Brett Jones who used to play Nocturnal Projections in New Zealand back in the early 80s mm. and so we became great mates and, and started just working on kind of experimentally duo drums, instrumental, loopy, mm. stuff like that as well. Um, and that was that was probably about the time that I started thinking about writing about music more. I'd mm. always kind of thought about it and and even like at school I remember mm. writing, doing like a pretend magazine. And yeah, right. A review I was going to say, what, so what was your relationship to the, you had grown up with some version, some quite significant version of the music press, particularly being... Particularly once you were in Thorazine, yeah, you'd have followed. Yeah, and even before that, I was yeah, playing, yeah, yeah. I've still got issues of the. For me, what the early yeah. issues of Rip It Up were right. and Shake yeah, Magazine yeah, yeah, for yeah. more pop stuff. Just as a person who was buying albums and listening yeah. to music, that yeah. was part of it. Yeah, and you'd recognise the names. Yeah. You'd see Colin Hogg and Russell Bailey, Murray and Kamek and, Murray Kamek yeah, and yeah, Gary Steele and yeah. Gary Steele and all those names. Yeah. And I'd always sort of follow their writing and. Mm. and Occasionally, try to. I remember writing a review of um, of a of a other of the other's infected album, mm. and thinking, "Wow, I could be a music journalist one day." Mm -hmm. But that was sort of like a thirteen-year-old's pipe yeah, yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, and yeah. So once I left working for the the company that I'd worked for in New Zealand, and then over here mm. after fifteen years, left that company, and I thought, "What am I going to do? Here's a chance to do something mm. that I really, really want to do." Um, so I did a sort of a short journalism course and, and set up Doubtful Sounds, the blog, and just started writing and putting mm. feelers out and, and, yeah, just kind of... Went. And you've kind of, um, you know, and it's, I guess, I guess it's taken a while, but you've, for quite a while, you've really established yourself as a, as a writer who, and a, and a, um, a writer who covers and a champion of what country alt country americana roots there's all sorts of different mm. names for it but that that's a big part of what you cover but then obviously you do still listen to and cover lots of other music outside of that but you yeah. really kind of that's that's your kind of stronghold yeah it's been interesting because originally i started doubtful sounds mm. and that as you say that covered everything from mm. middle to mm. to electronic music to indies to you know, whatever, yeah. and it was just a good name for a music blog. Yeah, 
Yeah. And, it, and it didn't have any connotations in Australia, no, which was the good thing. But it, yeah, that's what I mean. But I, I can see all the different sort of things you're playing with there. It's a nice, yeah. a, a nice link back to where you come from, yeah. and there's, yeah, and there's, exactly. you know, there's your uh, your concerns about whether you could do it or not, and <laughs> <laughs> whatever, you know, like it's a toe in the water thing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, and and and, and I was yeah. writing about music that sometimes wasn't cool, like yeah, yeah, Champion yeah. and Billy Idol or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did not care. So Which is the beauty of, as we, bo- as we both know, uh, is the beauty of, of of being the captain of your own ship. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the when it comes to pay time, it's fucking dreadful, but mm. <laughs> but there's got to be some perks. And yeah. when, you, when you're allowed to, when you're allowed to write about whatever you want, that's a great freedom. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a huge freedom. Yeah. yeah. So I started off that, I can't remember, uh, I guess for two years maybe, and then... I sort of saw, I was listening to a lot of alt country, mm. um, you know, coming through listening to Ryan Adams and Wilco and all mm. those sort of usual suspects of that genre, mm. of the alt country mm. genre. And then I just felt that like, there was a, there was a, enough of a niche to start a separate blog to, f- to focus on that. Because mm. I think maybe I was writing about it a bit more and then I thought, well, I don't want Doubtful Sounds to be, start leaning towards mm. one genre. I want to keep it as, as open and free as possible. Mm. So I started Post to Wire and very quickly... You know, when you're looking at your blog and your numbers of followers on your Facebook page, mm. Doubtful Sounds was just... I was slowly getting more people reading and, and following stuff, but Post of Wire just mm. went up, you know, straight away. It just mm. was, started pulling in people. And I got a sense that was a, there was much more of a community around mm. a specific genre. And I think because there's a lot of singer-songwriters, so there's individuals who are following it and want mm. to talk to you one-on-one rather than just sort of rock bands doing stuff out there. And, uh, yeah, it just felt like there was a, a, enough of a scene that mm. and an accessible scene as well. I could mm. just message anyone. I could just go down and see. I saw Marlon Williams playing at a, a pub five minutes from here. Everybody was talking. No one was listening to him. He was just standing in the corner mm. doing a few originals and a mm. bunch of covers. Mm. And I could just walk up to him afterwards and introduce myself. And he goes, oh, you're Chris from Post of Wire, because he'd seen my name on the mm. and stuff. And so I knew there was that accessibility to be able to get interviews, to be mm. able to get hold of music, um, to start putting on, promoting some gigs and getting people involved. And mm. Yeah, so it's, it's really that, that scene and that um, community kind of aspect. And is it through that that you got into sort of DJing or had you had you also kind of done that as a bit of a sideline? Because I, I guess I really know you as a post-wire related DJ that that's part of the shows you either might do or that you get asked to do it as part of a show that's related to that but were you ever doing that outside of that yeah I never I hadn't really done a lot of DJing in the past yeah I started doing some at a friend owned a pub and I started doing just generic all kinds of stuff Saturday night pub music kind of DJing and so I've I've done other bits and pieces as well but the poster wire stuff became more of a thing because I realised that I was going to gigs where people were between bands, you know, you sing a folk act or a country act, and then between bands, they're putting on god awful mm. music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just that's totally yeah. unrelated to yeah, what yeah. everybody who's there to see yeah. the band play. Or, or the best of the Pogues is a lazy sort of catch yeah. option or something and like that. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. the DJ's yeah. iPod on random. Yeah, uh, yeah. The sound man's iPod on random or yeah. something. So that became a bit of a thing I could do. I could like pitch to people, you know, mm. come along and either play records if it's set up at the bar to do that or. Mm just do it digitally mm. and just create more of an atmosphere and then that led to being able to put on more of my own gigs and get, mm. get acts to play and DJ as well. Mm. So. And you've 
you've also, I mean, I was looking through a list you posted somewhere recently of like you know the 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 number of sort of international acts that you've interviewed and stuff. Like you've you've talked to some. You know, and I've got some stories of talking to some big name people, mm. but you've talked to some, and obviously being in Australia, there's more chance of press here, and there's more people that tour here and that. But a lot of it will be stuff that you've generated yourself, that you've followed and gone for, as well as you've freelanced for some for some people. But you've you've um, you've talked to some big name people, and yeah. what's that been like for you? You know, what was that? Did you have a significant early nervous experience? Do you still get nervous? Still like get what's nervous your, yeah, yeah, what's your process with that, and how's that evolved for you? Yeah, I think early the nerves were related more to not knowing what I was doing mm. and not knowing. Am I, get, am I going to get busted? <laughs> yeah, exactly. A bit, eh? yeah. Because you you see television interviews. I guess you hear radio interviews, but you don't really know if that's different to a music journalist talking mm-hmm. on the phone to somebody without cameras or without mm. doing it live, whether you have to ask different questions or whether there's formalities or whether you can just talk like we're talking. Or mm. So there's all that kind of feeling that out and, and, and trying to do it the most natural way that you can do it so that you feel comfortable. Mm. So yeah, at first it was really just trying to figure it out make sure I wasn't making mistakes, making sure my digital recorder actually worked properly. Because that was, you know, it's a mm. big fear that mm. you're halfway through conversation, you look down and you think, oh, shit, yeah. I haven't pressed record. Yeah, yeah. And I've only lost one interview, um, uh, which I had to redo, which was almost as bad. And you asked the same yeah. questions, knowing I was yeah. going to get the same answers. Yeah, just got to the end and I plugged the, the mic into the wrong thing, so it was just me talking and no answers for the whole thing. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, no, I still get nervous, and it's more, now it's more about nervous about whether I've done the research right, mm-hmm. not asking a, a stupid question like, you know, so you're from Nashville, mm. Tennessee or whatever, and they're born and bred from New York, and they've never lived in, you know, yeah, just yeah. basic stuff like that. Have you, got, can you, have you, yeah, I mean, you don't have to embarrass yourself and out yourself, but <laughs> with, with anything you've done spectacularly wrongly, I'm sure, I'm sure you haven't done done too much wrong, although we all, we all do, as you say, get it wrong or worry that we do, yeah. but have you, uh, have you caught yourself in an interview or been aware of the person perhaps on the other end of the phone? You know, maybe it's completely not because of you, but can you, can you tell when it's going quite badly at the time, or do you listen back and go, "Oh, that wasn't as good as I thought it was," was, or "Oh God, that's actually quite good. I thought that was going badly." You know, have you had those sorts of experiences? Not too often. I think normally I listen back and think, "Oh, that sounds better than I thought." Mm, if anything, I think because yeah. it's the self-critic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You think you're listening and you're so self-conscious about asking a question, like, yeah, most grimacing when you think yeah, you might yeah. have got it wrong or you've you realise that you've probably, you might have just asked the same question in a different way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've only got 15 to 20 minutes or you get asked, Or you get asked for a last question and you ask the one that they always get asked. <laughs> yeah. You know, whatever, you wonder that. The cliche. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I know when it's gone wrong if the interviewer's, like I, I've, and I knew it wasn't going to go well, but the, the infamous Jay Maskus interview mm. that people well, do. Yeah, or don't. Say, yeah I've, I've never had that distinct, lack of pleasure I've never really wanted to interview him but yeah. they're, they're generally not a fun time yeah and I only because he's a huge hero to me mm. musically so that was that I think that overrode yeah 
the, the and you we, and you obviously weaved into it knowing oh this is a challenge because these are worse yeah 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 because yeah, you know, I had ten questions or something like that and you know within three minutes I answered seven of them was you know it was that point mm. where you're getting one word answers and you're just like mm. oh well I'll just keep going and you managed mm. to get enough to, to put a piece together you just mm. you, you put more information in it you flesh it out and mm, mm. and the other one was Spencer P Jones when I interviewed him he sounded great for the first 10 minutes and then I don't know whether he was falling asleep or he'd been to the pub or something mm. else had happened but mm. I could actually not understand a word he was saying no, it is, I actually, so when was that how long ago do you reckon that was because I had a similar experience oh, okay. yeah, actually. Yeah, well, that, yeah. that was when they did that Beach Suburban reissue mm. nine years ago I think like a double city mm. box city thing so yeah I reckon I talked to him around about that time eight or nine years yeah. ago and um, and he actually rang me and said hey uh, he rang me early and said oh hey uh, so we're going to have this chat um, yeah, can, can I actually push it back a bit? Can um, can you call me? God, I wasn't even expecting him to call me. It was odd that he did. And yeah. he was like, "Can you call me um, on just on a different number? Can you call me on this number and ring me in about two hours?" And I was like, oh, "Okay." And then I rang him up, and I was just like, "What did that dude just <laughs> that dude just go off and get a fix or something like that's kind of how it came that across." That was my assumption. <laughs> yeah, and I so I actually just right I didn't write it up. I was just like, "I'm not. I've got nothing there." Yeah. Like, to work I got half an interview, so I had enough yeah. to flesh yeah. it out because it was only. 500 word piece or something so mm. but yeah that was like wow yeah. but I've actually, I've actually been really lucky everyone yeah. I've spoken so to who's blown, blown you away in terms of their either you just simply couldn't believe you got to talk to them and you got the words out and they gave you answers or they were just so much nicer than you thought you know not so much they were a hero of yours but they just were so much better at being interviewed or nicer yeah. than, you, than you might have thought John Cale was a big one wow I think um, yeah just because I, I figured that he's been interviewed so much and yeah. how do you interview him and get some interesting answers without yeah. answering the cliched val- asking mm, the cliched mm. val- questions but you want to ask some of those questions of course. anyway yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was and he has a, um, a notoriety around being a grump you yeah know, but he, certain, was, he was super yeah. friendly and, and even when I did veer towards those more obvious questions yeah. like I remember thinking oh, I've got this great question what other uh, musicians that or bands that were around the time of the Valley Underground that you think maybe were as good as you guys yeah, but never yeah. got the acclaim yeah. and just disappeared in the rest yeah. of history and, and he liked that I, you know he he said there were no others as good as us yeah so he took <laughs> yeah, that yeah, tank, yeah, which yeah, I think yeah, was quite yeah. funny yeah but um, I think just because of his status of who yeah, he is wow. and he was an interesting guy to talk to and he listened and gave me the time mm. um it can be so different. Sometimes mm. you can get somebody who's just a new a new band, and they'll just talk your ear off, and it feels like a self promotion. Yeah, yeah. They're telling you way too much stuff. You yeah, just, yeah, yeah. You they haven't good. they haven't lived enough like, yeah. musically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. they're just reeling off names that mean nothing. It's just yeah. some guy in a small studio in the middle of nowhere. Mm. Mm. And Lucinda Williams was another good one. Yeah, mm. I chatted to her a couple of times, and she. Yeah, she was a little bit like John Cale in the sense that she has got a little bit of that reputation. Yeah, I imagine she's the one you would have to get her on the right day. Yeah. I mean, I've talked to her once and I had a good interview with her and I thought she was lovely, but I got the feeling, and I've from seeing her live a few times, 
yeah, I feel like you could get here at the wrong time. Which, of course, is true of anyone. Yeah. Particularly anyone in that environment, because you would know. But, you know, it is it is quite an uncomfortable situation talking yeah. to someone on the phone that's, that's way more important than you, that's done it heaps, and you're trying to make it interesting, and yeah. they're just trying to get through it. Like, then no matter so, what you ask, yeah, they've heard a version of, of those questions yeah. before, yeah. no matter yeah. how you rephrase it. Yeah. Another interesting one was when you talk to somebody who's in a high-profile brand, a band, um, Phil Salway from Radiohead. Mm. But he's yeah. talking to you about his solo <laughs> exactly. project, right? And you're like, "Wow, this is the drummer from Radiohead." Yeah. What would I? And he what says, would "Not today." To? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he's a nice, nice enough guy that you, yeah. he knows you can ask him. Of at the back end, he knows that's a question yeah, or two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What when's the next Radiohead coming yeah. out? Coming out, whatever. Um, so that's always an interesting one. But I think because. I'm not just interviewing him for the local mainstream newspaper, mm. it's, it's music press mm. specific, I'm a long term fan, I want to, it's more about stuff that I want to find out, that you can get into those deeper questions. Mm. And have you found, have you, I mean I don't know what your process with, with this is, but have you found that you can sort of seek people out yourself and, you know? Just, just, or have you most has most of that work for you come through the sort of official channels of being contacted by a publicist or being asked, being commissioned to do it for another publication? But like for your site and or anything like that, have you managed to make contact with people yourself and just find that they're willing to do it? Yeah, but general, not at not at that top level of international yeah, 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 yeah. stuff. I th- Certainly with local acts, I probably could a little bit now, but yeah. I, I haven't really pushed it because a lot of it still comes through. Mm. The music, which is a magazine, street mm-hmm. press that I write for, and mm. and rhythms magazine, um, and in the past some websites like Faster Louder and things. Mm. Um, so I think that within definitely within the alt country Americana scene, I can mm-hmm. I can do that a lot more now. Mm. And people tend to come to me specifically when those artists are touring, um, especially kind of the mid level ones like the Justin Towns Earl and the Josh mm. Ridleys, mm. And who aren't sort of that. You know, yeah. wide audience. Yeah. Outside of the the niche. Yeah, they now. still have to remind people who they are. Like they've got a, a good yeah. touring and recording thing going yeah. on, and they've got I mean, their fan base. But a nice one was Ryan Adams. I'd interviewed him over the phone uh, twice, and then speaking of people, <laughs> depends what day you get. Yeah, yeah, I imagine. Yeah. And then and then I, the magazine contact uh, Faster Louder, a website yeah. that's now gone under. They contacted me and said, "Oh." Ryan's management has asked if, with his team up interviews, asked if that writer Chris Hamilton could do mm. the interview again. Mm. And I think because he's a little bit prickly and wants to, he knew he was in safe hands. Profile, he, he felt knew, comfortable. Yeah, he would have, or not yeah. probably as Yeah, 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 yeah. Would have Someone looked back read and gone, the, this read that. And this went, guy was nice to us. And yeah, didn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't, wasn't a dick, didn't wind him up and yeah. seemed to know something. Yeah, so that was yeah. good. that time I got to meet him in person. Wow. Do the hotel room. What was that like? It was a little bit daunting. Yeah. Sitting in another room. Yeah. Waiting while he had his lunch. <laughs> and then sitting and chatting to him. And uh, It's so weird, isn't it? Because you tell... Do you have this experience where you tell people, oh, so I, I'm off to interview Ryan Adams I'm, I'm in person? Or you say afterwards, I met Ryan Adams, interviewed him. Oh, what was he like? Are you going to hang out now? You know, people ask <laughs> yeah. those sorts of questions. And then you, you end up saying to them, well, I sat in a room while he put me off and put me off, and then he, yeah. we had this 
really artificial conversation. We were both trying to pretend it was natural. <laughs> it was pretty good because if, yeah. if he gets on your wavelength, or you get on his wavelength, I guess, yeah, he just goes and he rolls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a weird thing where he had his phone set up on the, another chair, FaceTiming with his cat and his girlfriend at the time <laughs> without introducing us. So she's watching him or us yeah. doing the interview. So but she's was, really there holding the cat. So. Yeah, it was, it was all a little bit bizarre. Wow. Yeah. That was a bit of a fanboy moment because I'm yeah. a fan of his. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, again, you know, yeah, he's one of those key names in terms of the development of a yeah. old, you know, old country scene yeah. or genre so or style. So that's the only time yeah. I've ever taken a couple of records to get signed, yeah. get a selfie. Yeah. I've never done that with anyone else. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I feel like you've got to pick your moments to do that. But, but yeah, you know, sometimes of, you think, oh, this is Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And, 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 and what can they do but say no? And yeah. if they say no, they're allowed to, and that's yeah. fine. And you, it's not like you're going to see them again. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, 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 you have to sort of, you have to kind of, I've, um, I used to, I mean, I didn't do that many face-to-face interviews with with people, well, not and certainly not with people I was massively a big fan of, and until really doing the podcast. And mm. then, so I do, you know, sometimes I'll take a record and get it signed and stuff, you know, or, or if they come around to the house, I'll have a record or a book I want signed. I just think it's kind of a nice part, yeah. of, part of, you know, it's a souvenir, it's a memento, yeah. it's part of the occasion, and I yeah. think that's fine. But, yeah, it's those sort of promo interviews that you're going to do you can feel a bit awkward sometimes yeah. but I, I also think sometimes people are quite respond quite nicely to that I, I remember so. taking I remember taking my copies of Hysteria and Pyromania <laughs> to Auckland when I went up to Auckland about 10 years ago and I got told oh, I was interviewing someone from Def Leppard and I didn't, didn't know who it was going to be until yeah, right. yeah, which, which yeah so I had to sort of do this generic general yeah. prep and couldn't really have, and they then they on the day they narrowed it down to well, it's either going to be the singer or the drummer, and I was like, oh, that hasn't really helped me that much, but you know, that's fine. And it turned out it was a drummer, and he was great, and you know, yeah, I had these records in the bag, and I didn't obviously didn't lead with that. <laughs> we sat down and had the interview, and then and I was lucky because a woman from Juice TV interviewed him first, and she asked him dreadful questions yeah. like, if you're a if, if you're an animal, what kind of animal will you be? And it's like, well, fuck, he's in a band that's got the name Leopard in the title. Don't ask him that. Like, he's already, he's already, you know. <laughs> so, um, so I think he was just happy to talk to anyone afterwards. So, you know, I think yeah. I just lucked in that. And so I felt quite comfortable saying to him at the end, oh, hey, you know, I actually am a, a big fan. You know, when I was a kid, yeah. I loved Hysteria. It was a really important record. Yeah, when you yeah. signed this? And he got into a big chat about it, you know, just carried on talking. was like, yep, yeah. you know, I'll do this and scrawled away. So I think you can, you know, that's okay sometimes. Yeah. Well, I found one thing over here, being a Kiwi in Australia, is that it's been quite easy to get um, interviews with New Zealand artists. Yeah, because you've got a connection with them. Because the editor knows yeah. that, that you yeah. know the back catalogue and things. Yeah. And then the interviews generally go well because, um, and we even without mentioning that I'm a Kiwi as well, yeah. someone might pick up with it, pick it up on the accent maybe. Yeah. Um, or might, sometimes it comes up in conversation, but yeah. Generally, I think it's just a response to me knowing about their music and their history. and So you're talking what, like like Marlon and Nadia, yeah, and, Nadia and, Reed and people like that? Yeah, and the yeah. chill, yeah. Getting chills, right. bats, clean. Yeah, um, right. And even into the Seminole dub and mm. Seeds and, mm. and those later kind of acts as well. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think they think they're interviewing, they're just doing a standard stock Australian press interview, yeah. which is just going to be about a tour and an album, but 
and then they get a bit more back history and yeah, yeah. early days in the scene kind of questions as yeah, well. So yeah, yeah. So that's nice. been an advantage over here, yeah. having that background. Yeah. yeah. And so what, what's your sort of... Um, and could you, you've played in a couple of bands here. Yeah. yeah. You've done a bit, a bit more music. Yeah, playing a band... Oh, the main band I've been in is a band called Charlie Horse. Yeah. Yeah, which... Another key we Matt Brown plays drums, he played in Shaft for a little bit, and yeah. in Cola, and did some presenting on Max TV in the early days. Mm. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's been good doing kind of old country, alternative rock, kind of, what do we describe it as, PJ Harvey front and crazy horse mm. kind of sound, I guess you'd say, mm. in general terms. Um, so yeah, that's been happening in the last couple of years, and then another band, with Brett from Nocturnal Projections um, and Rob Young from Cinnamon Cola mm. um, Good Finalists we're sort of yeah, working towards an album back into this year doing nice. that yeah. so it's still yeah. music still yeah I was just going to say what, what, and what what, um, what else have you got planned in this sort of poster wire and doubtful sounds empire <laughs> yeah empire, well exactly like are you you know is it a plausible thing to, to to promote shows like small local shows is that a good yeah. good good thing to do or is it or is it a lot of work for no real um not even financial gain but thanks you know or no, i think the, the the thanks are there definitely from the artists mm, mm, mm. because if they yeah they don't have to do the legwork hustling for venues yeah. and things so with postwire i was doing a couple of regular um, fortnightly or monthly sessions then called Heartbreaker Sessions and then Red Eyed and Blue which was mm. a couple of live acts and myself DJing or Heartbreaker Sessions I did with Darren Cross from Girling mm. and mm. we both DJed at that um, so those things are always fun to do basically because mm. you can choose the bands that you want to see come along and put on a, 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 an event and you've already got that connection with the local scene so if there are people coming out from Melbourne you can get an audience in front of them rather than playing to two mm. people mm. so yeah it's there's no not really any financial reward in it it's really just mm. another aspect of being a blogger and being a, a, a journalist and mm. adding to that and mm. you know as you know starting a podcast yeah 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 I haven't gone down that route yet but I've got like an online I guess you'd call it a I call it a music show because yeah. It's not a rat. It's not on radio. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's essentially. I was going to ask you about whether you'd thought of doing, you know, a, yeah. a, a, a podcast, a chat sort of podcast, because I know you do mixtapes and you do yeah. radio show type stuff yeah. and you know playlists and all of that sort of thing, and obviously prom- curated and promoted shows. But yeah. yeah, yeah, it's on the horizon. I'm, I've yeah. been thinking about doing yeah. it. It's just kind of yeah, fitting it into day to day life mm. and mm. Um, whether you try and do it over Skype or over the phone or mm. you only limit it to doing it in person to get, you know, mm. to have the audio, audio quality and, yeah, and yeah. the one-on-one conversational aspect, yeah, which well, I think helps. I mean, for me, it hasn't even... Because yours are all mine are, face-to-face, aren't they? They have been, yeah, yeah, and that hasn't been about audio quality as much as... Obviously, you know, you want it to be, like, listenable. Yeah. And, and, and mine, I think, have been. Um, but it's really just been about, I guess, wanting to get some form of connection out of it beyond yeah. you know I've 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 been offered to do a few via phone and Skype and I've obviously could reach a lot more people if I sat and did that and yeah. I and I think at some point I will invest in audio you know being able to capture it so yeah. that it is worthwhile for those ones that come up yeah. you know so, so that if I, so that if I get offered a really great phone interview with a famous 
person that I want that, that well, doesn't matter if they're famous or not, but someone I want to talk to, yeah. I could actually capture it and feel like it could be podcast worthy. Yeah. But I, you know, i you know, my whole my whole angle, which is nothing new with podcasts, is is trying to go a bit beyond the, you know. The, the the shameless plug and the uh, mm. and the promo opportunity and just sort of do the deep dive. Yeah. Speaking people, of people which, want the backstory. Speaking which of which, do you want to plug this new <laughs> this compilation? <laughs> Should we get <laughs> the one that I just gave you a copy on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Should we get to the point of the interview? <laughs> I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> but do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, it's interesting because when you talk about doing other yeah. things based yeah. around being a music journalist, I've toyed with the idea about starting a record label. Yeah. I've toyed the idea of doing what you know publicity type writing for people and things like that mm. and um this great uh idea came up initiated by um by dave favors who's a musician and he runs this label called stanley records here in mm. sydney and he came up with this concept of putting together a compilation of australian alt country artists uh con- contemporary artists mm. um covering the whole of australia so i think we've covered all the states and we haven't called it Americana, we've called it Alt Country because there is a, a difference. Yeah. We've, we've yeah. avoided the more folkier acts and, yeah. and more sort of pure blues acts. It's that, it's that more traditional mm. Old Country sound that came out of Crazy Horse and Whiskey Town and, mm-hmm. and Wilco and um, Bottle Rockets and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And, um, and it hasn't really been done before either. There's older retrospective yeah, compilations, yeah, yeah. Like buried country compilations of indigenous artists yeah. and things, but... You know, when we grew up, there were compilations all the time. Yeah, yeah. Trucking hits and yeah. chart yeah. busters and Wave eighty three and but you don't mm. really have that compilation. I guess maybe it's the whole mm. playlist. People make their own ones. thing now. Yeah, yeah. But if you have, but I love involved, a well, I, I love a well curated, um, you know, compilation that someone, yeah. someone's. I still, uh, I don't know if you do, but I still go to those like. Um, late Night Tales Back to Mind style exactly, ones. Yeah. The, well, the Late Night Tales series continues and they are fantastic. Yeah. You get some. It's always surprises. And they're doing that thing now of like they'll get like a big name sort of electronic DJ act or whatever who will do it, like a John Hopkins or someone mm. who will actually do a, a live continuous mix as well as mm. part of it. So yeah, you're, yeah, you are getting, you're getting that plus you're getting the old after hours compilation yeah. of, of influences and things they want you to hear and then you're getting some of their actual flavour and, and skill yeah. um, those things are fantastic yeah. you know? and, I, and I want that more than I want to click on next week's you know recommended for you you know and I, don't, I don't just like Spotify I find it really handy yeah, but yeah. I, I don't want to click on things that have been recommended for me on Spotify yeah. I want to find things myself Yeah. yeah or yeah. you want to be presented stuff by yeah, people that, yeah. that you respect and yeah, you follow, yeah, yeah, whether yeah. it's a DJ or yeah. a musician or a yeah. radio host or whatever it might yeah. be. Um, yeah. So I think the strength of this is that it's not just one person creating, it's mm. Dave and his taste. It's uh, Aretha who runs Motherhem Touring, who does a lot of mm. touring local artists as well as some internationals yep. like um, Kevin Welsh and yep. the Easy Leaves, who are just over in New Zealand at the moment, and mm. all within the old country kind of genre. And then my, my input as well. and um, Well, I'm looking forward to this. I mean, because I look at this and I go, man, there's whole lots of names here I do not know, which is, yeah. great, which is great. I want that. But then also I can look at this. Not only would I take your, you know, I'd obviously take your sort of word on something like this anyway. Mm. Like if you were not involved in it at all, but just said, hey, this is something you should check out. Yeah. I, I'm going to know that you're a, you're a voice that's involved in that. But I, I look at this and I look at names like Lo Carmen and Adam Young, people that I have heard of, yeah. and go, well, cool. Like there's there's stuff yeah. on here I do know as well. Yeah. And um, 
And we've tried to, yeah. a lot of the time we were trying to get exclusive tracks on yeah, these yeah. tracks, which didn't always pan out because mm. people don't have maybe a backlog of stuff or mm. stuff they feel that they want to put out there like that. So there's there's some album tracks, but there's also a lot of, like I think there's a Skyscraper Stan song on there, mm-hmm. Kiwi Guys Living in Melbourne. Mm. Um, I think that's a track from a, from a soundtrack right. um, for a TV a TV. TV movie or a movie, um, mm-hmm. so there's some some great exclusives on there. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think it all ties together. And there's 47 yeah. tracks over three CDs. So yeah, great. We've so that's going to come out and hope that a couple of months, a couple yeah. of months time, and that's hopefully going to do well in the sense that you're going to get people wanting to, yeah. to have it and hear it, and then it does that thing of introducing people to you know someone like Lo Carmen who has albums out and mm. has a career that they can follow yeah that, that maybe a lot of people listening to this already know but there's going to be someone yeah. who doesn't and then they go wow I'm going to check her out yeah. or what you know or whoever else yeah but because the, the type of music it is and the, and the size of the scene mm. it's not a money making venture mm. it's, it's mm. about us all of us coming from different angles it's cheerleading wanting and, to promote and, yeah and yeah. using our skills to, to yeah. put it out there and promote it and a lot of these artists are starting to get over to New Zealand mm. and do shows a lot more and yeah, tag on to those. Yeah. I think it's called the Southern Fork one, mm-hmm. which happens in Yeah, Auckland yeah, yeah, yeah. There seems oh, to be yeah. a little kind of touring network that's starting to pop up around New Zealand of Australian acts that are going over and mm. they share the venues that they've played at. They'll head over there or they're heading to Littleton to record albums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's yeah. all starting to tie the Australian and New Zealand scenes together. So you've got quite a few little things still to explore and, and, and irons in the fire, obviously mm. this and recording your own album and then, you know, maybe a podcast and, yeah. and obviously you'll continue to write, you'll continue yeah. to DJ, you'll as continue to... magazines and websites. Yeah, yeah. Well, you have your own outlet, yeah. Though, yeah, exactly. at least, you know, you'll, yeah. I imagine you'll continue to do that yeah. for... You don't seem to be... Because I always like following your stuff on Facebook too because, I you know, whenever I think, oh, you know, you're one of the the old country guys and if you say that this is good I'm going to check it out and then I'll look at your stuff and you'll just you know share some old bogan rock classic <laughs> or you know like you, you know you've, you're into and you, you know you mentioned your father having the records but like you're into Miles Davis and things yeah, like that yeah. so I love when I see your stuff that's that's maybe just a Facebook post rather than a big entry Report, but yeah. yep. you know I, I try to do the same and it's 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 um always nice seeing I mean obviously loads of people are into loads of different music but mm. it's always nice seeing someone who's who's got a bit of an an angle or an area that they're an expert in but then seeing that there's so much more involved in it than just yeah. you know just sticking with this one genre yeah I think there's very few people who or people that I know maybe it's more my age that only listen to one specific type of music yeah I, I might listen to a couple of genres but, but generally people are open to to different kind of things mm. and I think the other day, someone who I think maybe had mainly followed my post to wire Americana kind of stuff, and then I befriended them on Facebook, and then I put up a Sisters of Mercy post or something. Mm. Like, oh my god, yeah. wow, you're full of you surprises, like aren't you? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah it was, that's what I grew up on, you know. I yeah. Getting that Floodland album, and yeah, I think it was the greatest thing ever. Yeah, I always like when I mean I don't try to do this on purpose or anything, but I do always like when someone will it'll happen every now and then on my Facebook page when a person will say. Oh, I just totally figured you would hate this act, and mm. I, and I can write back and say, hey, look, sometimes I do post music that I don't particularly like because I'm I'm just sort of showing that it's what I'm reviewing or whatever. Yeah, I yeah, haven't yeah. made my mind up on it, but I can't think what the example was. But 
right now. But in this case, I was I was able to go back and just legitimately say, man, this is one of my favorite bands. Like this is yeah. a band I grew up with, and 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 this this guy was like, oh, I'm not giving you shit. I'm just absolutely baffled. I'm sure. I had your tastes pegged and you would not like yeah. this. And it's like, great, I don't actually want my tastes pegged by yeah, anyone. Exactly. You know, I, don't, I, I know that happens. That's a consequence of, yeah. of speaking out about music, of being, you know, on, on, on radio and podcast or print or wherever and people finding your opinion. They're going to start to... Mm. That, that is why you follow people. Like all my favourite um, broadcasters and journalists over the years, I've, I've tried to get a handle on what they... I always into. surprise you from and time to time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You want to be surprised. Yeah, yeah. and it can be within, you know, an artist catalogue. Like yeah, earlier today you posted the Fat Freddy's drop. Right. Yeah. 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 Album. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people probably would have picked. Oh, you for totally. Being a Fat yeah, yeah. Hater. Yeah. Yeah. And I legitimately like that album. Yeah. You know, exactly. I wasn't trying to stir anyone up, but yeah, yeah that that actually is a good example. That was um, that just came up, and I have that record, and I don't play it loads. But last night I sat and listened to all four sides of it, and reminded myself. Yeah, I still I still like that's not yeah. every not every single track, but as an album I think it hangs together and I think it hangs together as an album better than anything they did. But but then I'm not, you know, massively invested in their other stuff, so it's not like my opinion means anything. It's just my opinion, you know, yeah. it's just what I happen to think of that band. Yeah. And yeah, it is funny because yeah, I, you know, that's an example where I suppose, yeah, people probably think I Yeah. I, and you might give the new Next Elder Harding album of five star reviews. I might. There's do. always a chance. <laughs> There's always a chance. Um, do, are you unconscious that you need to probably get your skates on soon? Do you? I've no idea the time. It's after two o'clock. Oh, not till three. Not. Okay. Well, is there anything out? I mean, we've had a pretty good chat. Is there anything yeah, else you wanna? We can always take this offline and continue. But is there anything you want to put across before I uh, we close up? Not really. Just I uh, just. If anyone's listening, encourage them to keep reading music journalism. Mm. That's my big thing, is just people listening to stuff because it's a new release on a Friday every mm. week and mm. then either deleting it or on to the next thing and just people listening to music and um, and listening to and reading differing opinions on music. Mm. That's that's one of the biggest things now. People take the consensus mm. and like I I probably enjoy reading reviews about albums that I love that are maybe negative or overly critical reviews because it's a different perspective and mm. critical thought and, and the people who come out and say um, oh, if you haven't got anything nice to say don't say anything at all that bugs the hell out of me I always yeah, find yeah. my fingers going it's, towards the keyboard saying hey <laughs> if we don't have any yeah. music critic that's what it was called yeah. music criticism yeah, yeah, in the yeah. first, pi- first place yeah, as long I as always, it's constructive and well rounded it makes think- you think like my favorite albums throughout you know like thinking back to old classic albums it's always um great to go and read like the criticism of them at the time and yeah. fi- and find them getting pulled to bits and you go yeah. i can sort of see how that like i, I remember it was a real revelation finding the original record re- i think it was a rolling stone review of um was it cream one of the two of um rumors yeah you know and it's like rumors whether you, whether people can say oh i hate fleetwood mac or whatever but rumors is a massive album yeah. and, and i love it it's a great album yeah and it's it's just massive so you would you would just assume for that to have sold as many copies as it did it must have been and obviously it's kind of the second fleetwood mac album in that lineup yeah. so you must 
I would have just assumed, fuck, that must have been raved about because it must have been mind-blowing mm. at the time. But this review just kind of pulls it to bits and yeah. goes, you know, here's what's wrong with this album. It's, it doesn't sort of say it's shit, but it basically goes, this is, you know, this is a cautious next step from this band. Yeah. It's like, well, it's a giant fucking stadium-filling world better, yeah. actually. But, you know, it, to me, at, it was it was fascinating to read that and get that context yeah. of it at that time. Like, we look at it in the historical context of what came after. I can see how an, a, a person would think that if they, mm. you know, because there was no, apart from the album that just came before, there's no real precedent for it. There's certainly yeah. no precedent for, for where it was going to go, for how yeah. big it was going to become. And so how would you, you know, how would you be able to predict the, yeah. the things from that? The and they were one of the bands that, I guess one of the bigger bands that were really were taking different directions within genres, yeah, or into other genres. Yeah. A lot of bands were, you know, sticking within their genre of doing, mm, mm. you know, funk or soul or pop or whatever, and they were just, you know, you look at the, the first to the last Fleetwood Mac album. Yeah, yeah. Well, it isn't a yeah. different band almost. Yeah, totally, but totally. Sonically, and but I love going through those. I mean, I don't do it as much now, but I used to buy. Um, yeah, old old issues of Rolling Stone, particularly from the from the eighties, mm. and when they when they really you know when Rolling Stone really and seventies when they really were pushing music, mm. and it's fascinating reading the reviews and, yeah. and even the feature interviews with people like Joni Mitchell yeah, and they're yeah. you know at their at their peak of sounding off. Yeah. And Joni Mitchell's just ripping into Ricky Lee Jones and calling <laughs> her a fraud and stuff. And you, you know, I, before they had proper publicists. Or but it's yeah, 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 yeah. But, it was, but it's like that didn't make me think Joni was <laughs> awful or that oh yeah, Ricky Lee Jones is not so good. I still like both of those artists. Mm. It's just very interesting to to, to read that particular yeah. take on it. You know, and different filters at that time. Yeah, think, yeah, 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 yeah. The way people approach media. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah, and the work. Nowhere near as many. There were no mm. internet. There were no blogs. There were no websites. Mm. So all they're mm. doing is yeah, Rolling Stone, Cream, Spin, Cream. When that started, mm. Mm. they were doing those big landmark kind of interviews, and they were yeah, landmark yeah. things that happened. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And following someone for like a week or two, not mm. just sitting down for an hour, but actually following them for and and, and capturing them at different points in yeah. the day when they were actually so well, you know when I've, I've referenced a couple of times to you oh you'd have to have got them on a good day well they were getting people on a good day and a bad day and then yeah, a good yeah. day again and then a really bad day yeah. and piecing that all together yeah which is quite fascinating I mean no one's got the time let alone the budget or the or the inclination reading wise for that to exist these days exactly you've got you know 15 20 minutes on the telephone yeah yeah, no, early in the morning while they're about to go to bed or something like that. But you can't expect readers to have an attention span for it mm. either. You know, if, if you if you know, there's no scoop anymore. Yeah. I guess the scoop actually probably comes from things like podcasts, where yeah, someone goes on a podcast thing. and and that's where that filter is removed, yeah. which is the whole point of it, right? Podcast has basically become long form journalism. It's mm. when you can mm. get under the skin, you you quickly run out of the stock questions, mm. and so you've got to just yeah. So yeah, you, go down different angles. have you been quite a big podcast listener, or is it, or is it something um, you will need to get more into if you get? Go I think I listen to probably a lot of the same ones you listen to, and yeah. a lot of yeah. a lot of people we know. But my angle is I don't tend to listen to every follow them all through. Just yeah, like I've listened, yeah. I'll, I'll listen to the ones of yours that I know the person. Yeah, which can be limiting because there might be ones yeah, yeah. that I've missed that yeah, would be yeah. absolutely fascinating. Yeah. But it's um, a big investment of time if you don't know anyone. Yeah, like, it's, it, it does come yeah, down to yeah. the time thing. Yeah. Like Mark and I tend to mm. always just stick to the music ones and occasionally mm. a Gus Van Zandt or a different director yeah, yeah. that I follow, but the music 
yeah, I'm just, I'm too obsessed with music. I get yeah. up in the morning and I can't start making school lunches and breakfast <laughs> unless I've put on some music. Yeah, yeah, I wake yeah. up thinking about what's the first album I'm going to put on and yeah. that whole music nerd kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, all the podcasts tend to be music. Yeah. Music focused, but, and, and just that there's some strong podcasts coming out in New Zealand, like your one and, and Lewis Tennant's yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to mention Lewis and his podcast before when you were naming, like when you were talking about, um, you know, people you went to school with yeah, and, right. and, I, and Otis and stuff. And I was yeah, like, you're basically starting ones. to name like people that have appeared or will appear on Lewis's podcast because yeah. he's got a great little yeah. connection to, to that era and those people. Yeah, yeah, that's been really interesting doing that. Yeah. He, he did the Mikey chat as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a lot of historical stuff that I didn't know that I pick up in those podcasts mm. about scenes that I wasn't involved with or maybe it was before I was going out to some yeah, shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, or you just missed it because you came here. What, yeah, you know, whatever, either side. Yeah. yeah, and like one of yours recently was the Fane Floors one. Oh, which yeah, was fascinating. yeah, 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 wasn't it? Was there any new real kind of surface level yeah. blurter stuff and, and all those other So, for, I mean, he won't mind me saying this uh, if, he, if, he, if this gets back to him, but, but he's a classic example of someone who, you know, I had wanted to talk to for quite a while, and I had thought, uh, and I don't know where I got this from, but I was like, a couple of, I think a couple of people said to me, just, just, you want to get him on the right day because he might be a bit prickly <laughs> and then all of my interactions with him uh, have been amazing yeah. including the day I went and recorded him he was just he great just I mean he, he just didn't want to exactly yeah. like we could have just I mean I could have been there for the whole night Yeah, I was there for several hours they basically just I, I went there to record him for the podcast and when I got there they were basically like oh you're staying for lunch yeah, yeah. so we had lunch first before I ever even got to talk to him and there were all these other people there um, friends of his partners and stuff. Oh, I had someone coming in at one point. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, there was, you know, and there was, and it was kind of like I had to make the decision that, like, I wanted to actually leave that as much of that stuff in because I wanted to reflect that it had been. Character. It was he was a character, and and yeah. and this is part of his character, and that it had been quite a day. It wasn't just a yeah. turn up to his house and chat to him. It was a bit more than that because yeah. he was going through all his computers and trying to find files to yeah. show me different recordings and things but uh you know he was great yeah yeah so i think for a lot of people who uh maybe older musicians or, mm. or, or artists or whoever it might be don't get to sit down and talk about themselves for mm. i've mm. never been interviewed mm. for anything so it's mm. interesting to sit down and talk about mm. yourself mm. and your life and kind of mm. put it all together and have a conversation about and it. then so a little a little bit a little bit heart and mouth when you listen back to it yeah, if you listen back to it. <laughs> if you do, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Perfectly valid responses. Might be listening to the first five minutes. Yeah, yeah. Last five minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hey, well, um, thank you for the beer. Thank you for You're the welcome. hospitality. And um, and uh, I feel like before you have to go, we should listen to a record or something. Yeah, yeah. sure.